Good morning. Um, the first lesson begins, um, well, it's from First Peter, the third chapter, and it begins at the eighth verse. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are jealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than it is for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Here ends the word. In the movie, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the uh, Spider-Man, the hero, rescues a man about to get hit by cars crashing through the air and onto the ground. His name is Max. He knows that because Max has got a name tag on. And Max wonders, why, why, why do you know my name? Why, I'm a nobody. And Spider-Man, after saving him, says, uh, you are somebody. You're my hands and my feet on the ground. You're my eyes and my ears. And after saving us, God gives us a new identity. He says, we are somebody. He says, because of his work in us, that imperishable gift that we heard in chapter one of first Peter, that uh, undefiable, unfading gift, then because of that, we become his hands and his feet on the ground, his eyes and ears. We get to serve the Lord together. And that's the invitation that we get in this text in chapter three of first Peter today. Now, some of you, uh, 
may remember when we had Officer Lahaki here talking about church safety. He invited us to to not be like we are in our own living rooms when we're out in public or in a place uh, like this beautiful gathering today uh, and to be at what he called in, in the green or to be afraid or nervous living in red alert. He said, be on yellow alert. Be aware of your surroundings and what's going on around you. And that sense of yellow alert has has stuck with me ever since. And as I consider it, I also uh, wonder aloud, not only does it extend to how we care for each other uh, in in friendship and in, in safety and concern here on this side of heaven, but also to be on yellow alert uh, for the needs and concerns around us that are eternal. And so God, I think, is inviting us to that kind of readiness in chapter three today. And to be ready for that, he invites us to be prepared. I read some years ago that the Marines have a motto, that the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. We are called indeed to be prepared. But the truth is, and First Peter also reminds us that being prepared doesn't promise that we won't bleed, that we won't suffer. For we live in a time unique in history with a large number of folks who don't just not follow Christ but claim there is no God at all. But you might be surprised. You might be surprised to know that some 44% in a survey claim that of those who don't believe they'd be willing and interested to sit down with a Christian to hear about the reason for their belief, the evidence for it, the reason for their hope. But sadly, just as the scriptures predicted, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, there are much less than that among us in the body of Christ who regularly are willing to sit down and have that conversation. And so God invites us today, he invites you and I to find ways to be prepared to give a reason for our hope. And along the way, we might not be able to avoid suffering on this side of heaven. After all, he just finished telling us in the previous uh, chapter about ways that we're called to be subject and it doesn't sound much fun. But we can be ready. Now, before we dive in further to this, uh, I want you to know a little confession, a little relief on my part. I was listening to Robert Kolb, a, a world-renowned theologian and uh, Luther expert and biblical scholar, well-known and well-loved and well-respected all across the world. And he was speaking about uh, this reading that we have today from 1 Peter chapter 3, although uh, he was talking from uh, 13, verse 13 onward. And he said, you know, this text is just impossible to preach. It made me feel a lot better as I was working through this text. And of course, he wasn't just dealing with verses uh, uh, 
13 and 22, we're dealing with five more verses beginning with verse 8. And he said there in this text, there's at least four or five sermons. And so I realized that was so. And so uh, taking some of his inspiration I, uh, and using some of his words and mine together, I put together some of the sermon titles that you could get from some of these uh, verses in today's reading. Five ways to be a blessing, as we see in verses 8 and 9. Jesus is Lord. He is in control. Or have no fear in the midst of the storm and sufferings that we face. Or to honor Christ in our hearts and to be ready as we hear in verse 15. Or as we get to verses 18 and following, in particular verses 20 and 21, baptism saves then we could just have conceptual sermons about the problem of suffering as we hear about it in this chapter, and we'll hear more about it in the chapter to come. Or not to mention some of those pesky, difficult-to-interpret passages like Jesus preaching to the spirit in, spirits in prison. What could that mean? Now, I want you to know that I'm only going to preach one of those today, all right? But... That said, with all these powerful details, uh, I want to invite us to come to this text. That may mean you have some homework as you come back to this text and study it at home this week. That there is much for us in the Word today. And so I want to focus on five truths that I think emerge uh, from our reading today. Five truths that will help us, I believe, be prepared for the calling that God has for us. The first begins at the beginning of this reading. Being a blessing is part of our identity. Being a blessing is part of our identity in Christ. The next is being a blessing as a servant of Christ looks different than how the rest of the world see and shape meeting. And third, we fall short We sometimes regularly fall short of this calling. Whether it's, as one Lutheran scholar put it, in our commission, the sins that we do, or in our omissions, the things that we've left undone, as we say in our uh, our confession each week, or as he put it, our, our sin of no mission, not being on the mission that God has given us from Scripture to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And then fourth, there's a truth here in this text that's clear and implied. We can give a reason for our hope. It's possible. And then finally, fifth, be ready. Being ready isn't for you. It's for others. Now that does anchor us in our hope to be sure. But it's part of our identity to be ready for the sake of others. Let's take a look together at these five truths today from the scriptures. The first comes into our identity, tying us right back into chapter one. It it always begins with a therefore we learned last week, right? Tying us back into our identity with this gift that's imperishable and undefiable and unfading. This gift that God gives our identity leads us to be a blessing because of that gift. 
Now, in English, when it starts off with this uh, call to be united, it comes across as a command. But as I read from many Greek scholars, in Greek, it reads differently. In Greek, this call uh, that sounds like a command in English actually is a declaration. Because of what God has given us, because of this gift of salvation that he has poured out for us on the cross, he declares all of us who come under God's word together, he declares us unified in Christ and in mission. It's a declaration from God that we're called to now live into. As Edmund Clowney put it, the key to them all, of all of these uh, five ways that we hear at the beginning of, the cha- of this reading is the love of grace that's reflected, the love of compassion that Christ Jesus invites us to extend. And this word, uh, as it's translated in English, uh, tender in heart or compassion, it, there too, it doesn't get at the grit that the, the Greek is trying to come across because the word there uh, is actually the same word where we get the phrase, I feel it in my guts. Because they think of compassion as something that's in the inner bowels. It goes deep down it, and we really feel it. And so our desires for others should be that that come from Christ, that they would know him and be like us, children who have received this great gift of salvation. And we do that out of this deep gut feeling of compassion and love, just as God's grace is for us. We extend it to others. And we do that in word. And as we'll hear, uh, both in the preceding chapter in chapter 2 and now in chapter 3 in our very lives. But how we do that, as we hear now into our second uh, truth out of this text, how we do that is different than the world thinks about life being shaped. Uh, So often we think of it as self-actualization and that where, that's where we'll find the true sense of happiness and belonging. But this identity that we've been given is blessed to be a blessing. And so the path that we take is different. In fact, we're called to pray for our enemies. Instead of seeking vindication, we extend grace. And what we hear in chapters two and three, we're extending grace to those who may not be treating us so well. And when we get into conversation and give the reason for our hope, it's not about coercion or winning an argument about making ourselves out to be right, but rather about being a witness, a witness to Christ. And so from our guts, our heart is to extend the love and grace that God has first given us. And that means that we come as servants, not seeking vindication, but seeking to love. And it often involves sacrifice. And when we 
When we try to just keep things even, when we try to just uh, make all of life fair, we end up being miserable. We can see this in our most important and intimate relationships. When, you, when a marriage, for example, is 50-50, as uh, many of you who have had premarital counseling with me have heard me say, it is a failure 100% of the time. When we try to keep things even, and I do this much for you, and you do this much for me, when we live like that, then we'll never be satisfied, and we'll always think life is unfair. But when we live sacrificially, and with submission, as the scripture teaches us for one another, then we turn and know the love of God, and we share it. But there's a truth about this that's also true, and that gets us to the third truth. Living like this, blessed to be a blessing, and being God's hands and feet, and, and sacrificial living, and uh, love uh, without vindication for ourselves, we frequently don't do it. <laughs> we fall short. And that's where we get the great irony here, right? I mean, the guy who tells us here in 1 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter, he says, uh, be ready to give a reason for your hope. Here's the great irony. Remember, Peter was the one who, what did he do three times? When Jesus was before the council and under trial, he denied Jesus three times. The one who's reminding us to be ready fell short. And so what did Jesus do with Peter? He forgave him. He restored him. And he commissioned him. And what does Jesus do with us? He forgives us. He restores us. And he commissions us. What did Peter say when he was asked after preaching the good news of the gospel in Acts? Repent and be baptized. And so we hear that theme in of baptism showing up here again in his testimony. In chapter 3, he reminds us, just like those who were doomed for destruction in the days of Noah, who were sinful, one and all, except one, Noah, who would be the archetype. Now we know in history that Noah uh, would fall short later in life as well. But he was a prefigure to the the one who would never fall short, Jesus. And so there were eight on that ark, not just one. Seven were there, placed not because of their goodness, but because of their relationship with the one. And so the ark would save them from the death and destruction that was to come because of sin. And this corresponds to baptism which now saves you the scripture tells us just like they were placed on the ark not by their works but because of their relationship we are placed on the ark of baptism as the scripture says it now saves you and we are placed and given this free gift from God into Christ as Romans 6 reminds us we are baptized into Christ and so this 
gift that comes to us in baptism comes just like it did for those on the ark. We are saved because of this new identity we receive in baptism. We fall short, but God sees us through the storm and brings new life and grace. As he did for Peter, he does for us. As he did for those on the ark, he does for us now on the new ark, which is baptism. That gets us to our our fourth truth. As it once was said many years ago by Josh McDowell, we don't have to check our brains in at the door. As we get to verse 15 and hear this word, apologia, which in Greek is the term that uh, we use to translate to give the reason or give a defense. The apology is the defense of or reason for. And so as we discover what we're called to do in verse 15 and given this reason, we don't do it by checking our brains in the door. We are able to give the reason and evidence for our hope that so many non-believers would just love to sit down with us as Christians and talk about. And what's preeminent here in this reading in verse 15 is what? The resurrection. Jesus lets us know that the resurrection is the evidence for our hope. We hear that in other places in the Apostle Paul when he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, were the resurrection not so, our hope would be in vain. We have a faith that's not afraid to point to a moment in history and say, this happened on this day, and it was so. And so we can give a reason for our hope from from history and from archaeology and from uh, the evidence for the truth of God's word. That's why we gather with one another to be prepared for those moments, whether it's a creed class or a, a study in the book of Exodus or a Bible study group that gathers together and holds each other accountable, or coming together around the word. In many ways, we gather together crucially to be prepared to give the reason for our hope. But it's not just our study that gives that reason. As you heard in the preceding verses and in the preceding chapter, it is your very life that testifies to that reason how you are loving with grace and mercy and not seeking vindication. Notice even in verse 15, when you get into the quote-unquote argument, we do so with what? Gentleness and respect. Our weapon of choice is gentleness and respect. We are not called to win someone over. We're called to be a witness and let the Holy Spirit bring faith. We're called to show the evidence through our lives and through the words that we share. But we can, God graciously says, through the preeminent presence of his resurrection, give the evidence and reason for our hope. And then finally, as we come to this fifth truth, This fifth truth that reminds us that there 
will be suffering and that these days are hard. But we shouldn't be surprised by that. The scripture teaches us because after all, we know in our daily walk that good things are often hard. Whether it's the beauty of marriage, frequently not easy, right? The gift of parenting, oh, that's just a breeze, right? Or standing up for truth without arrogance or conceit, but with gentleness and respect. Knowing you might be cut down. Oftentimes, good things bring suffering. But remember, it's not about you. That's what this final truth reminds us. It's about the ones who God has called us to love. And they may not love us back. But when you're secure in the truth that you know that through this storm, God will see you through on the ark that is baptism. That he's got this. He's given you the identity. He's given you the imperishable gift. It's his and he holds you. I mean, just think about those on that first ark. 40 days and 40 nights of rain, and then they were there even longer on that ark. I wonder how many times they wondered if they'd ever see land or ever make it through. And yet the promise of God was still there for them, as it is now made complete for us in Christ Jesus. He will see us through every suffering. One scholar put it like this, Peter would prepare the church, not simply to endure persecution, but to find in persecution an opportunity for witness. And so even in our suffering, it's an opportunity for witness. When these five truths emerge, it leads us to live into the blessing that God has given us. In our hearts, it says, honor Christ. It hallow his name. We pray that we hallow his name. You know, when Peter quotes David in this text and how David is hallowing the name of the Lord through what suffering he'd been given this gift of being anointed as king, king. And yet Saul would not relent. Saul would not give over the authority or power. In fact, Saul was going after to kill him. And so he cried out to the Lord in Psalm 34, And you know what David did? A great example for us, instead of seeking vindication, he could have killed Saul. He had a couple of opportunities to do so. Instead, he nestled in and hallowed the name of the Lord at every moment and let the gift of love and honor come out instead. He didn't kill Saul. And he waited upon the Lord. He nestled in to this promise And he hallowed the name of the Lord. That's the same word that we use and pray for in the Lord's Prayer. And so David nestled in. Peter calls us to do the same. We'll be on a boat that will not sink in any storm, even if we can't see the end of it. And what about that phrase, the spirits? He prayed for the spirits in prison. Well, that's a whole other sermon, but one thing is true about this. 
the gates of hell won't prevail against God's people, the church. No storm will overtake us. No suffering of this world. We can give a reason for our hope. There is a reason for our hope. As we nestle in and hallow his name, let us do it with our very breath and life together. For there is indeed a reason for your hope. Amen.